Hi, I'm Howard Tierski. Welcome to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast, where we focus on the stories of large-scale digital transformations told by the people who lead them. Hey, everyone. Welcome once again to the Winning Digital Customers Podcast. We have an awesome guest today. It is Brian Garofalo. He's the Chief Marketing Officer of Igloo Coolers. Now, I don't know if you know the story of what's happened with Igloo Coolers over the last few years, but it has been amazing. They have had a massive turnaround, fantastic growth over the last few years. And so we really want to dive in with Brian, who is obviously one of the key leaders of the organization who helped architect that. And we really want to understand the details of how they accomplished that amazing business turnaround. Brian is also a really interesting guy. Before he was with Igloo, he spent a number of years in the skateboarding industry, focused on youth marketing. So a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in that regard. I'm sure there's a lot we're going to get into about e-commerce transformation there, about some of the ways that they're using licensing that have really helped them kill it in the marketplace, and also how they've been so successful in spite of COVID. You know, I was just telling Brian before we got started that there are some industries that have really benefited from change that's happened in the marketplace. Not that anyone would have wished for COVID, but there are some industries, if you're in the paper towel and toilet paper, industry. You almost didn't have to do anything that amazing to have a fantastic year. But I associate the products that Igloo Coolers makes with things like going to live events and tailgating, going to the beach, traveling, you know, things that you'd think would have made this a tough year. They'd have a reasonable excuse if they'd had a bad year. And in fact, it's been the opposite. They've been killing it. So that sounds like a business that I really want to learn more about how they're accomplishing that. We could all probably use a little bit of that. And uh, with that, Brian, welcome again. Thanks so much for being on the program. If you would start and just tell everyone a little bit more about your background. Sure thing. Well, uh, first, Howard, I appreciate you having me on the show. So thank you and hello to all your listeners. So a little bit about me, born and raised in Southern California, 80s baby. So grew up uh, skateboarding and surfing here and, and really fell in love with that lifestyle when I was, uh, when I was super young. Had the, the good fortune of, of doing well in school and knowing what I wanted to do from a young age. So also had the global surf industry in my backyard here in Orange County, California. So right out of school, uh, started working in the skateboarding industry and had the opportunity to run marketing groups for a few of the, the brands that people interested in, in that industry would know. So DC Shoes, Ruka Apparel, Element Skateboards, all, all places that I had the opportunity to work at and work with global consumers through e-com, physical retail, doing lots of fun live events, working with awesome athletes. So had had a blast doing that, but really thought that uh, that apparel and accessories business had a lot of issues with it, with supply chain and, and having to be the bank for your consumers and really operating on a big wholesale model. So I actually jumped into the startup world and did a venture-backed company called YoShirt, where we built a mobile app that allowed people to customize apparel and accessories from a mobile device, uh, purchase a one-of-one custom garment that we had a unique supply chain that would build a one-of-one garment. And a consumer could go from a design and purchase in their phone to a unique product at their door in just three days, completely custom printed and sewn together. So fun business there, ended up selling that business and coming back to work in a corporate world and had the fun opportunity where a mentor of mine uh, took a job with Igloo. Actually, a business of his was acquired by Igloo. Uh, they had expressed interest in really building the brand and making a transition from kind of a houseware-centric business to more of a, a lifestyle business. Um, and I was brought on to go lead the marketing group here and specifically run the e-commerce business, which was almost non-existent when I showed up a few years ago. 
fast forward to today, I've got a very cool job. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it. So um, I know e-commerce was one of the key components, but before we dive in even to the specific pillars, can you give us an overview of the transformation and the success that has happened at Igloo for those who aren't familiar with how big of a turnaround it's been? Sure. So definitely, you know, the e-commerce was one part of a, a huge overall transformation for the business. So I think the key lesson here is really taking Igloo from this housewares business, which was a traditional kind of SKU level business of find a need from a customer, build a product for them and fill a hole on the, the GM pad at a retailer to this lifestyle business of really diving in, understanding who the consumer is, what the use cases are, building product collections that are segmented for the right customer, the right consumer, the right price point, and the right distribution method, which honestly today has a lot to do with direct to consumer. So we underwent a huge transformation, which really started with the people. I think there were there were two big parts of the people transformation that happened really successfully. One was an entirely new leadership team. A lot of incredibly talented people led by uh, our, our CEO, Dave Allen. 10 of 10 executive leaders were, were turned over in, in the last two and a half years here. So a lot of new thinking, a lot of new energy, and a lot of great leadership. And that group came together, built a strategic plan, and has really been working with a, a large group of people on executing that. The second thing is culture. So Igloo, I think a lot of the people had had a tough go with some different ownership groups and different strategies over the past decade. And to have some stability, to have some great leadership, and to start seeing small wins really helped in affecting the positive change to the culture. And then we've actually created culture documents internally of you know where, where are we and where do we want to be, and then start living the culture. And the more turns on the flywheel, the more wins we can put up on the board, the more people start coming around to, yeah, you know what, this is working and I'm buying in, I'm excited. And then, you know, the momentum builds and you get more and more energy and more and more success. And I think that all leads to two years later, here we are with a big group of people that have a lot of pep in their step against a lot of adversity in today's market. That's great. And changing out the whole leadership team, of course, is a great time to try to do a reboot on the culture of a company. I know you mentioned the idea of getting kind of quick wins, but anything else that you'd say would be the components that really made this new culture work so much better than the old one for the company? Well, you know, anytime you're talking about culture, I, I think it really comes down to authenticity. We've got to align a culture for any consumer goods business with the end use education. Igloo is a very fun brand. We're in a very fun category, the use case oftentimes is your mindset is to go out and, and be entertained or go out and do some recreation. So chances are you want to go have fun when you're using our product. So if we have a lot of, uh, a lot of people that aren't very interested in going outside and having fun, it's hard to align that culture with what the consumer thinks would be authentic. That's really step one there is what do we need to be? What do we need to act like um, to be authentic to our consumers? I think that's, that's really the, the basis of culture. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. You mentioned part of the success being really understanding the customer, understanding the use cases and finding the right categories, and even making that shift from housewares to lifestyles, which is even so much more about understanding the customer. I talk a lot in my book, for example, Winning Digital Customers, about that being so important and different ways of going about that task of understanding the customer. My experience, a lot of companies think they understand their customer, but then if they engage in the right times of activities, they can often learn a lot of things they didn't know. 
So I'm curious, what did you guys do to get that knowledge? Obviously, you got the right knowledge because you clearly brought out products that worked with the customer. How'd you go about that? Was that to interviews, focus groups, or what did you do to actually get that insight? I think this would probably boil down to three things here. Uh, you know, one, a lot of talented people in the organization that just have fantastic experience, have done this before and have a track record of success. Two, research, just like you said it. We spend a ton of time and energy with customers, with consumers, doing research in, in all kinds of ways with third parties, um, on our own, with digital data that we can collect from our own direct consumer relationships, with retail data, with in-person data, quantitative and qualitative studies. We really do put a lot of effort into understanding both the consumer, the end user of the product, and the customer who might be a wholesaler who's going to sell the product at retail to the end consumer. And then third is uh, going back to that customer. So Igloo is a 75-year-old brand. We have incredibly deep, long-lasting relationships with all of the biggest consumer goods retailers in the country. And we have a fantastic sales organization that really has built incredible, long-standing quality relationships with buyers, with merchants, with executives um, at our retail partners. And we do a really good job of understanding what their business goals are, what their strategy are, how we can align together and try and go create wins for both of us. That's such an important point you make. And it's one thing that I talk a lot about, which is, you know, even if you're in the B2C business, you're probably really in the B2B business. And that important recognition of the fact that your customer is not just the user of the product, but also that entire chain of distributors, retailers, however that product's getting in the hands of the customers. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Anytime you're in consumer goods and you're, you're working with retail partners, you're selling product twice. So there's, there's sell-in and sell-through. We've got to sell to a retailer and have buy-in from the buyer, the merchants, um, and the people on the sales floor. And yeah. then we have to do a really great job with consumer communication and create that demand for somebody to go walk into the retailer and then purchase our product uh, over somebody else's. Yep. I'm curious when you went out to do that research, was there anything in particular that you learned that was surprising and particularly important to be able to bring the best products to market? I wouldn't say there's anything incredibly surprising, um, you know, again, because we've got a lot of really qualified butts and seats and people that have done this really before. Mm -hmm. um, I think where the magic happens is, is in between the lines. The more research we do with all of the different cohorts that, that we target, it's, it's nuanced. So we find little things about price, product, place, and promotion, where if we make small little tweaks here and there, we can see big results. Fantastic. So let's dive in on e-commerce. You mentioned earlier that it had gone from a practically non-existence e-commerce business to one that, as I understand it, is pretty sizable today. Can you talk a little bit about the journey of, first, what it took to get the organization to commit to really taking e-commerce seriously? And then how did you go about starting from near zero to the thriving e-commerce business you have today? Just about two years ago, or a little, little longer than that when I landed here, we were finishing uh, what looked like the second year of uh, direct-to-consumer sales. There had been a couple platform shifts, and not a lot of resource was, was given to the team that owned the function internally. Quite honestly, just not a lot of buy-in from leadership of having direct-to-consumer sales be a part of the long-term strategy. So very easy shift when we had the, the changeover of all the executive leadership and people, again, you know, qualified people that had done this before. 
It's a very easy hindsight conversation to have when you say the famous Wayne Gretzky quote of, we got buy-in by saying, hey, we need to skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck is. All of the data points to consumers want a direct relationship. Consumers want the, the convenience, the ability to shop for price, the ability to have something delivered right to their door, the time savings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that was issue number one is just getting the buy-in and having this on our strategic roadmap. So check that box. It's fairly easy. And then second is when you look at the, the hallmarks of what makes great direct-to-consumer brands, Igloo doesn't check a lot of those boxes. <laughs> so uh, we are a accessible product, which means we're already, we're already found in so many different places that you don't need to go online to find us. It's very easy. Uh, we have accessible price points, so almost everybody in the country can afford one of our products. You're, you're not getting a, a great deal by going online. But also our products are, because they're, some of them are, are lower priced, there's lower margin available. So there's not a lot of meat on the bone for customer acquisition. Then also they're, they're physically large and lightweight. So we ship a lot of air. So that shipping expense is, is pretty high as well. It's very easy to lose money on a low cost, low margin, expensive to ship product. That goes back to merchandising strategy. What are the products we're going to sell to which consumers for what price points on, on our site? Basically, a teardown and rebuild of the merchandising mix, having the strategy to say, hey, we need to focus on these specific products. Uh, we also need to build some new products that are going to be e-commerce exclusive. And then we need to invest in customer acquisition with multiple different tactics of marketing to get people excited about coming to igloocoolers.com and purchase product there. The long story short here is replatform the site, put the right product on at the right price point, and then really understand who our digital customers are and go find them, give them an authentic marketing message and start driving that traffic. And then everybody knows in the e-commerce business that this certainly isn't a customer acquisition exercise. This is a holistic sales exercise. So once we've got traffic, we need to figure out how to convert that traffic. Once we convert that traffic, we've got to have the IT exercise of collecting all the consumer data, getting it to our pack center, getting the accurate order fulfilled in a very short amount of time. We're competing against the expectation of Amazon fulfillment then having a fantastic customer service experience. So delivering those consumer messages to the purchaser, we've got your order, we shipped your order, here's your tracking information, the order's at your door. If there's any issue, here's the person that you can contact immediately to get this rectified and have a fantastic experience. So you leave us a five-star review, you come back and buy another product and you tell your friends about it. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about years ago, even up till not too long ago, when I talked to manufacturers, the number one reason not to be in a direct e-commerce business was concern about disintermediating their traditional retailers. Today, I hear less and less of that. I think most retailers have just come to, they've given up the ghost on that uh, and they no longer get so upset about it. But now what I hear is, and you touched on some of these things, you know, trying to compete with Amazon where you have very often, you know, prices are lower, the delivery is faster, customers already have all their saved information. And so, especially for a very occasional purchase, I would be sympathetic to somebody who said, gosh, you know, I don't know, Igloo, like I'm still sitting here. I know I, with everything you've just said, I'm still sitting here going, yeah, yeah, I get it. You got to have an e-commerce platform. You got to find the right customer. 
But how do you make the math work when you're competing with somebody like Amazon, who's already got a great infrastructure, they already have the customer, they already have the payment information. I still feel like you're leaving something out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, here's where we go back to your question about what are the incredible insights we find when we're doing research? And, and my answer was, well, the, the devil's in the details, right? So I actually didn't say we're competing with Amazon, we're competing with the Amazon experience. So we, we absolutely want to deliver consumers that are direct consumers from igloocoolers.com that same level of experience they've come to expect from Amazon. But we're not selling the same product as Amazon at the same price. So I think we've done a fantastic job of segmentation and delivering the right product to the right consumer through the right distribution channel. I think most people that do really great business with Amazon know that Amazon's strategy has been shifting to velocity. So they're not necessarily interested in selling every single SKU from every single brand, but they want to focus on the top selling SKUs and deliver the best price and the most accessibility so they can get that product to the end consumer as fast as possible and then have a great customer service experience because they know everything there is to possibly know about this product and they know it's high velocity so they know they can collect dozens, then hundreds, then thousands of reviews and really instill that consumer confidence. When it comes to one of our fantastic customers like you know, in the sporting goods channel or in the mass channel or in the grocery channel, they usually have consumers that walk into those retailers that have a mindset to buy a specific product. So if they're going into sporting goods, chances are they're buying a half gallon jug for a, a children's uh, baseball team. If they're going into a mass retailer, they could be buying the family's ice chest or they could be buying a, a soft side cooler for uh, back to school season. If they're going into a grocery channel, they could be looking for a day use cooler like our, our iconic Playmate cooler to take the family to the beach, the lake, the river for a day trip. When you go to igloocoolers.com, you're going to be able to find everything, but also the very specialty niche products that you can't find in any of those retailers. So we're actually, uh, you mentioned licensing earlier. We do a significant amount of licensing. That's been a really great bright spot for us in the last couple of years. Um, and you think of something like a Grateful Dead licensed Playmate cooler that has graphics from the band on it and it costs $50. And that same cooler normally costs 20 to 30 at a mass market retailer, but we create lots of content. We put cool graphics on it. We really target the specific consumer that loves the band and loves that product and has a use to go purchase it. It's very hard to find enough of that cohort of consumer that are going to go into any specific retailer anywhere around the world. The price might not be right for an online retailer that's focusing on velocity, but when you get to igloocoolers.com, easy destination for us to target the consumer, deliver them some awesome content, and tell them, hey, you can come purchase it right here. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's sounding to me like taking your apparel experience, even if you're not making one-to-one -one coolers, but much more segmented product, it has more of a fashion quality to it, not just a functional quality to it. Absolutely. Hit, hit the nail on the head there. And that's a huge part of transitioning from this housewares brand to a lifestyle brand. Now, instead of just matching needs for function and, and filling the, the box with, here's a vessel that will keep your food cold for the day. We're creating this emotional attachment where 
we've got a millennial that goes to the beach with their friends or a, a music festival, and they're literally dying to show off their cooler because it's a representation of who they are. And it makes them really happy and excited about the adventure they're going to have. Now, have you thought about going all the way to one-to-one? Absolutely. Like most most businesses like ours, we definitely have a B2B channel that's the premium business. Um, so we do have in-house decoration capabilities to put graphics on coolers, do laser etching, pad printing, all that fun type of stuff. As of today, it's still fairly expensive to do one-to-one. Uh, but as I mentioned, the startup business that I did, I've got a lot of unique experience in, in doing one-to-one with, you know, all the way from customer acquisition through to the supply chain and, and delivering of goods. And we're taking a lot of those types of lessons and building out our in-house capabilities. So we, we certainly will do one-to-one at some point in the future, but not, uh, not today. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm curious from a licensing perspective, it's interesting what you said about music. I honestly wouldn't have thought of that. Of course, the two types of licenses that occur to me off the top would be sports and kids, kids entertainment, you know, SpongeBob or what have you. But I'm curious, what, which categories of licensing of IP have proved to be the best sellers for you? Fairly traditional. So just like you said, those are kind of the low hanging fruit. Uh, we have, uh, gosh, just over 50 incredible license partners today. Uh, we have those siloed into six different categories. The ones that are the big movers certainly are our media and sport. We just kicked off a fantastic relationship with NFL. Obviously, you know, the, the football fan and tailgating have had a really bad <laughs> last 12 months. Uh, but I think if we look forward to 2021 and, and fall football, this should be the mother of all tailgating seasons. So we're very excited to be able to partner with the NFL for that. On the media side, you've got, you've got Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, Sanrio. Lots of incredible partners there that just have huge, huge fan bases. But then you have other categories for us that make tons and tons of sense because of who we are uh, being a cooler. So we do a lot with food and beverage. We have some really unique properties like Volkswagen, the old microbus. The shape of our Playmate cooler, the way we actually put graphics on it, looks like a tiny little bus. And there are millions of fans of that vehicle around the world. And to be able to take a tiny cooler out of your bigger bus that looks like your bus, it, it always puts smiles on people's faces. I love that idea. That's great. You know, one, one thing I want to ask you about licensing, and I'm imagining a listener who may not be using a lot of IP licensing as part of their business. And they're listening to you talk and they're like, light bulb, this might be a huge opportunity. Could you just give them a general sense? You mentioned selling a Grateful Dead cooler where you might be able to take a $20, $25 product and sell it for $50. And I realize you can't share the details of any individual licensing contract, but can you give a general industry guideline to people about what might you pay for the IP when you want to put SpongeBob or you know the, the Raiders or those types of things onto your product? I can share some general knowledge around there. Every single license is unique. Um, no, no two are the same. You're usually going to sign up for a royalty. So for every single product you sell, you're going to pay a percentage back to the IP rights holder. So your, your example there, if you're putting Grateful Dead on a cooler, whoever owns the rights to give us the Grateful Dead logo, we're going to pay them that royalty. You know, pre- pretty wild swings anywhere from, you know, on the low end, 5% on the high end, up into the high teens and even 20. A portion of the the sales right off the top is going to go to the partner. And then you've got things like a minimum guarantee. So usually there's an agreement that says, 
hey, yes, you're going to pay us a percentage of, of your sales, but you're going to guarantee a specific amount that you have to give us over the course of the, the term of the deal. Usually that's something like an annual guarantee that you might pay them, say, $100. So if you're only planning on selling five products and the royalty payments are going to end up being $10, but you sign up for a $100 minimum guarantee, you got to be able to make the math work. And then last, um, usually some of the, the bigger partners, they are going to be very adamant about an advance. So an upfront payment to get the party started. So again, if you have a, a huge partner and you're looking to license in a very broad category like apparel, if you want to go put a Dallas Cowboys logo on a t-shirt, you're going to have a really tough time and it's going to be much more expensive than one small music act, say, that doesn't have a very large audience. Those are usually the things that you're going to need to put in a deal but what you're getting on the other end is a very fanatical audience that loves purchasing products, consumer goods especially, that are backed by people, brands, ideas that they love and trust. Fantastic. Well, um, we've talked about culture. We've talked about the whole e-commerce launch and recognizing there really was a direct e-commerce opportunity. We've talked about licensing. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd say was any other keys to success that others listening who are trying to accomplish similar success in other categories might want to think about applying in their area? Absolutely. I think that our, our big lesson from the last 12 months is our COVID response. So every single business is going to have a unique situation that maybe their industry or sector is. For us, it was very difficult in the beginning stages of, of COVID because retail shut down and vast majority of our distribution is at physical retail. Uh, but our CEO challenged our marketing and e-commerce groups to say, we're a leader in the space. We need to take action quickly. We need to give our community a reason to believe in us and be excited about our products. We knew that there was going to be a huge increase in stay-at-home activities, getting into the backyard and off the couch, and not just the outdoor industry, but literally just the outside industry. If I want to go work on my patio, I'm taking my lunch in a, in a cooler, just like I'm going to work. We chose to put our money where our mouth is, and we did a promotion with Playmate Coolers on igloocoolers.com, where we donated 100% of the profit for every single cooler sold for a month-long period to the CDC Foundation to help get PPE into frontline healthcare workers' hands faster and, and more efficiently than was currently happening. Our community of, of fans and consumers loved it. They got behind it. We built a ton of momentum through PR advertising, word of mouth. Um, we we're able to donate over $500,000 in 2020, mostly to the CDC Foundation, but also to a few other select charities. Um, and it was a huge springboard for our e-commerce business, our fan base, our Playmate business. It showed that we care, um, we're authentic to our, our consumers and really was a, a rallying cry for our staff where it was something that we just felt good about doing. So really, really tough road to hoe for about eight weeks straight. Uh, but then stimulus checks land, people start getting outside in small groups. And uh, the macro picture of, of last year, 80% increase in outdoor recreation activity and one out of every three people was doing something new that they'd never done before, whether it be hiking, birdwatching, camping, mountain biking, stand-up paddleboarding. Uh, we benefited in a big way in the back half of last year 
because coolers for the outdoor industry are what we call activity agnostic. So if you're going to the lake, the river, mountain biking, hiking, camping, whatever it is, you need a paddleboard for paddleboarding. You need a cooler if you're going to spend the day on the lake, the river, the beach, whatever it is. You still need a cooler if you're going to be mountain biking, if you're going to be camping, if you're going to be hiking, bird watching, whatever it is. We benefited in a big way there of people wanting to get outside, have some adventures, or literally just live outside and hang out in the backyard. Yeah. One of my favorite uses for our Igloo Playmate cooler is we go uh, tubing every summer on the Delaware River. So we've got an inflatable holder, I guess you'd call it, you know, just like our tube. It's a special kind of tube. I'm sure you've seen put the cooler in. So we'll go out there with our sandwiches and our beers and whatever else and just spend four hours drifting down the river. We've got our cooler with us. So you need that cooler. I got to tell you, at the end of the day, those beers are still cold. Oh, yeah. That's that's the type of story that definitely puts smiles on our faces here of knowing people have a lot of fun using using our products. I think the the last thing I'd leave you with here is thank you for your Playmate story. And for everybody listening, Playmate actually turns 50 in 2021. So expect to see a lot of really cool stuff out of uh, Igloo and Playmate specifically this year. Wow. And ours is actually an orange one, which I think is that's the classic one, right? I'm going to need to see a picture of it. You got to send it over. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian, so much for being here. This has been great. A lot of wisdom packed into a tight half hour. Really, really appreciate that. Thanks so much. Thanks to everybody who's listening, the Winning Digital Customers podcast. And until next time, have excellent luck in 2021 and excellent progress with all of your digital transformation efforts.